Maxine acknowledged Tommy Lee as the love of my life, although the relationship was doomed to tragedy. Lee contracted a cancer of the brain which radically changed his behavior. He went berserk and attacked Maxine on at least two occasions, nearly killing her. He was declared mentally incompetent in 1948 and the Don Lee network sold to General Tire. Moving on, Maxine married Todd Ford and had two children with him. While Lawrence Welk was establishing his show on KTLA he had to undergo major surgery. Unfortunately, Welk's family was still located in Chicago, so Mrs. Todd opened her home to the Champagne Music Man during his recovery. When the Welk family developed the Welk Resort in Champagne Village a few miles north of Escondido. Sadly, Maxine and Todd's marriage ended in divorce. Ready to take a break from California, Maxine was offered a job running a music store in Honolulu. By the time she had made the move to Hawaii with her young children, the owner of the shop had passed away and the music shop closed. Maxine was forced upon her jewels to feed the kids, and for a time worked as one of Honolulu's first private investigators. She soon got on her feet, got a job running a pair of Zales jewelry stores in Hawaii, and started investing in real estate. Maxine Gray Ford died quietly in her sleep on July 17, 2006. She was 92. We close our cameo of Maxine Gray with this performance on radio series Nobody's Children from October of 1944. The Mutual Network presents Nobody's Children. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Tony Loprano speaking. We bring you now the 99th program of Nobody's Children, heard each Sunday at the same time over the Coast to Coast Mutual Network and presented with the cooperation of the Children's Home Society of California, a program dedicated to the welfare of orphaned and homeless children throughout the land in the hope that Nobody's Children everywhere might become somebody's children. Once again, we open the files of the Children's Home Society in Los Angeles for the true stories of the cases that will be reviewed by Miss Dean Randall. Good evening. And the originator and moving power of this program, your host, Mr. Walter White. Thank you, Tony. Good evening, friends. In opening today, I'd like to recall some of the objectives of our program as put forth on our earliest broadcast more than two years ago. First was the ambition to introduce homeless children into childless homes everywhere. Second, through examples and illustrations of actual case histories, to acquaint our listeners with the difficulties of underprivileged children and the means by which they are adjusted. Our third purpose was even broader, the desire to make the nation in general child conscious. At the time, we said, and I quote, As a people, we have many problems to consider, but it is our belief that the home or family difficulty is the basic one, and if that can be remedied, it will eliminate most of our social problems at their very source. Good parents create good homes and raise good children, and these good parents and children are the precious cycle on which our future national welfare depends. End of quotation. We wish now to reaffirm those beliefs and purposes for world conditions have made them even more timely, more important than ever. 
Let us all do what we can to relieve suffering everywhere. But in the stress of outside conditions, we must not forget the needs of our own little ones within the ramparts we watch. And now the Robert Mitchell Boy Choir will sing for us the choruses of the two songs written especially for our program, one of which will presently become our musical theme. The first of these is Evening Prayer by Wayne Boys, and the second, Nobody's Children by Miss Betty Best. case for today, please. It concerns a little boy of eight. His name is Ralph, and he was born in Oregon. His mother was a member of a very fine family, and her personal charm and social prominence had made her a popular figure among the younger set of her community. But her elaborate church wedding to Ralph's father was marred by the fact that the young man had not been approved by her former friends as a social equal, nor was he later accepted in their circle. And it was this situation that led to their first disagreement. The young couple decided they would make a life for themselves entirely independent of the girl's family or friends. But the husband was unable to support his wife in the style to which she had been accustomed. And after the arrival of their first baby, a girl, financial reverses disturbed the happiness they had known during the first year of their marriage. The young wife, dissatisfied with the dullness of her simple life, began to associate with her former friends again, and another man entered the picture. There was further dissension, and eventually a separation. When Ralph was born, his father was in another state, and he even voiced some doubts that the boy was his child. The couple remained apart, and as time passed, Ralph's mother became ill, developed tuberculosis, and died. The young husband, who realized too late that he'd been greatly at fault hurried home to his two little ones. But pride would not allow him to remain there, so 
He took the children and came to California. Soon after their arrival here, the little girl was returned to a maternal aunt, but the boy stayed on with his father. For a while, his paternal grandmother cared for him. Then there were various housekeepers and many changes, too many. Finally, as a result of unemployment, there was just enough money for two people to live on very carefully. And this meant that Ralph was alone a great deal. Because the boy was on the street so much, sometimes dirty and unkempt, he was reported to a children's protective agency. They helped the father in planning, but even so, conditions did not improve very much. At six and a half, Ralph was a truant from school, and his report cards were very poor. At seven, he had failed in the second grade. He chose older boys as his companions, and under their bad influence, he became involved in serious mischief on several occasions. His father was kind to him, but again, he began to wonder if this was really his child, and whether he should be held wholly responsible for him. At last, he decided that Ralph would be better off in a good adoptive home if one could be found for him. So the boy was brought here to the children's home. He didn't want to come. He was fond of his father and used to being free to come and go as he pleased. In the beginning, he fought discipline with tears and with temper, even though his father had reasoned with him and tried to make him understand that this change was to his advantage. Ralph was taken to the child guidance clinic where a most careful study of him was made. This clinic helped the home to direct and understand the lad. He lacked security had uh, very little confidence in his own ability, and was easily influenced by older boys. He wanted their approval and had paid dearly for it. In some ways he was a baby. In others he was old and wise, beyond his years. He had never had a really good start in school, and it became necessary to put him back into the first grade. This was, of course, humiliating for the child, and probably one of the causes for his poor sportsmanship in athletics and other things for he was not a good loser. Another serious handicap was his inability to read, and the usual methods of teaching seemed inadequate, so a special tutor was furnished for him. As the boy gradually improved in his studies, he began to take an interest in track and other athletics. He was taught how to succeed, and more than that, how to enjoy the other fellow's success in the games. It took a whole year to arrive at the place where we felt that Ralph could be safely placed for adoption. That year, however, was well worth the money it cost, for with careful handling and encouragement, the boy has become properly adjusted and has recently been accepted in a good foster home. Some years ago, another boy was placed in this same home and was adopted. He, too, had a few problems which the foster parents had helped him to solve. He was so grateful that he was, well, he was anxious to help some other youngster faced with the same difficulties he'd been through. He asked his parents if he could not have a younger brother. Our agency had many letters from these foster parents and a few from the lad himself. When we wrote them about Ralph, they came down at once. They uh, chided us a bit for suggesting that they were always interested in problems and assured us that they would be very happy to have one more. So quite suddenly, Ralph had a mother a father and a brother. A few days ago, when one of our visitors called at this home, she found Ralph doing his lessons with the help of his father, who was painting the porch. He was proud that he was coming along fine in school and smiled as he told of the fun he'd had on fishing and camping trips over various holidays. It was plain that 
the boy had acquired poise and self-confidence, that he, that he felt he belonged and he was making good. Best of all, Ralph's new parents and foster brother are very happy to have him in their little family group, and they're as enthusiastic about him as he is about them. Of course, these long-time remedial programs are expensive and add to our budget. Incidentally, part of our community chess contributions are used for this purpose. We are sure that everyone will agree it is money well spent, as the case of Ralph definitely proves. Indeed it does. We all remember the saying, music hath charm, and we feel that in introducing our guest of today, nothing could be more appropriate than music. For it is the medium through which she is known to her public, as this charming young lady is a true daughter of radio. You've all heard her sing with the popular orchestras of Kay Kaiser, Ted Weems, the late Hal Kemp, now featured on the California Melodies program with David Rose. And friends, it is our pleasure to present lovely Maxine Gray. Thank you, Mr. White. Your very nice introduction surely strikes a responsive chord in me, for music has been my whole life. Even my name, you know, was inspired by music. Your name, Maxine? Yes. My mother, herself a fine pianist, loved music. And she chose my name from the Maxine Waltzes, which were popular when I was born. So even your birth had a musical setting. And what could be lovelier? Nothing that I can think of, Maxine. And where did your debut on the world take place? My first and very unmusical note was uttered at Shreveport, Louisiana. And your professional debut? In the same place at the age of ten playing my own accompaniment on the ukulele. I sang on the opening program of the first large radio station in our part of the South. And you've been singing on radio ever since? Well, pretty much. During my high school days, I had my own program three days a week on that same station. Sang with my uke, and between songs, I talked a little. Sort of ad-lib, you know. Mm, but what, uh, what a youngster of that age talk about on the radio? Oh, just to people who wrote to me, mostly those who were lonely or in trouble. Men in prisons and people in hospitals. I sang the songs they asked for and tried to encourage and cheer them up. Mm, what a grand idea. I remember in the early days of radio, there were many such programs, sort of, uh, oh, informal homey visits between entertainers and listeners. Mm -hmm. It'd be nice if we had more of them today. It certainly would. It's a great privilege to be allowed to talk to people in their own homes, to send out kind thoughts, create goodwill and even make friendships with folks you've never seen. I still correspond with a young man whom I've never met, but who used to write to me regularly back in the Shreveport days. As a youngster, he was paralyzed, had been told he'd never walk. Well, I refused to accept that idea, so I wrote to him, sang to him and talked to him, always with the one thought that he would someday walk. And did he? Yes. Somehow I always felt he would. He is now a very successful lawyer with a practice that extends over three states. And Faith did that for him. It did something for me, too. Three years ago, I was very badly injured in a train wreck. The only journey I ever made without my mother, by the way. My back was broken and I suffered a severe concussion. It looked as though I would never walk again. For ten months, I was in a steel brace. And during that time, I remembered the boy who wrote to me and what I had said to him. I knew that if faith could cure him, it could cure me, and it did. Your own good thoughts came back to you when you needed them most. They always do. I believe that kindness is never wasted. Even if those to whom we give it do not appreciate it, 
It still does something for us. It does indeed. Something you said this evening remains in my mind, that good parents make good homes and raise good children. It's so true. And our early impressions are most important in shaping our later lives. Mine were, and I know that whatever good has come or may come to me in life, I owe to my parents, particularly Mother, who worked with me and stood by me through the years. But your words suggested a further thought to me, a thought for those of us who are not parents. What is it, Maxine? Well, I hope this won't sound presumptuous, for, of course, I'm not even married, but that's just the point. It seems to me that we unmarried folks have our place in the broader plan of creating better conditions for all children. Of course you have. But tell us your ideas. Oh, there are so many ways. Uh, supposing we'd all give a cheery smile to the little ones we meet every day. Help them across a busy street and decide that no child in our neighborhood shall go to bed hungry. Any small act of kindness. Children respond so readily and their minds would retain these good impressions. And pass them on later. That's it. And we can drive care more carefully, especially near our schools... And what could be finer for those who can afford it than to sponsor a particular underprivileged child and help him to make a place for himself in the world? In other words, the spirit of Christ every day in the year instead of only one. Exactly, Mr. White. It's not impossible. And wouldn't we all feel better for it? I'm sure we all feel better even for your suggestions for it, Maxine. They are practical and beautiful. And, Maxine, what number have you chosen to sing for us? One of my old favorites. And with the help of Robert Mitchell and the boy choir, I'd like to sing it, particularly for the little folks who may be listening. This little piggy went to market. My own. This little piggy went 
Thank you, Maxine Gray, for your song, your sentiment, and your lovely philosophy. Thank you, Mr. White, for letting me express them. And good night, all. Good night, Maxine. Now, Dean, will you open our second case, please? Well, the principal in this story is an attractive little miss of four years, whom we shall call Jenny. As young as she is, she insists that she and her baby brother have had a bad time, and the facts of the case would seem to verify her opinion. The parents of these children are young people. The father grew up in a small place along the Illinois River where his parents were prosperous farmers. They gave their son a good education, and in his high school days, he excelled in athletics. But the lad did not like farm life, so after his graduation, he went to a nearby city and became a mechanic. There he fell in love with a girl who worked at the fountain lunch where he took his meals. She had grown up in the city, a member of a large family, Her father was a factory worker, and the children had all gone to work as soon as possible. The two young people had known each other only a short time when they were married and came to California. Jenny was born here. But the hopes they'd had for plentiful employment and higher wages were not fulfilled. There were disappointments, dissension, and then drinking. The couple moved from poor to poorer quarters. The first really serious trouble arose about two years ago, when Jenny first came to us, through the police department. At that time, the father and mother were in jail for disturbing the peace. After a few weeks of care, Jenny was returned to her parents. A family agency took over part supervision of the family. The father went back to a job, and for a time it seemed as though all was well with them. But again, there were periods of unemployment and more drinking. And then the little brother arrived. He was born in the general hospital because there was no money for private hospitalization. Under the circumstances, he was not very welcome. But when he came, they loved him, and Jenny is devoted to him. Though this young couple have been their own worst enemies, they have many good points, and one can't help feeling sorry for them. But recently, the father's drinking has definitely interfered with continued employment. This time, the couple have separated, and the husband is again in jail. So the probation office will become temporary guardians of the children. And what is to be the plan for these little ones? Well, there are a good many relatives, and of course they are being contacted. It is probable that they can make some sort of provision for the children. It is even possible that they might make some arrangement for rehabilitating the family. Perhaps if these young people were to try again, uh, back in the surroundings of their earlier lives, they might really make a go of it. After all, they started out as wholesome, hard-working folks, and they're still young. It would be grand if they could if only for the sake of the children. We believe the opportunity is there for them if they will take advantage of it. And if they do not? The children will be sent to the relatives, if possible. If not, relinquishments will be secured from the parents and they will be placed for adoption. Well, let's hope this young couple will choose the right way while there is still a chance of keeping their little family together. And now may we have Jenny in for a moment? Surely. Tony, will you bring Jenny in, please? And friends... It is fortunate that we have in our country hundreds of children's homes which, like our own here, are giving temporary care to thousands of children in cases like the one you've just heard. Do take an interest in the home in your community. Help to support and encourage its work in behalf of these little ones. They are our most sacred charge, 
but we must not fail them. And here comes little Miss Muffin. Come right over here, dear. Well, well, well. Hello there. Did you ever see one of these before? Hmm? Did you? When you say hello? Hello. Oh, let's get way up here. Huh? Want to go over here and meet somebody? Want to go over here and meet some of the boys? You say hello to some of these boys here? No. What's his name? Maybe he'll tell you his name. Tommy Cushion. You say hello to Tommy? Hello. And here's another cute little boy. You can say more than that. Look at all those boys over there. Aren't they a fine-looking group? Yeah. Do you know what this is? What is it? Handle. It's what? Handle. A handle, huh? Well, it's it's part of a radio. You see anything else around here that you'd like to talk about? What? I wish you could see her, friends. She's beautiful. She's like a little angel. What's in there? What's in there? Well, I don't know, dear. I see we're getting a sign that we have to get off the air, so I'll hand you over to Tony. Here you come say with me. You goodbye. Say goodbye to everybody. Say goodbye. Bye. Everybody. Everybody. Goodbye, <laughs> darling. And friends, in closing, I would like to ask all those good people to whom we still owe letters to be patient. There's been so much to do recently that I've not been able to keep up with our correspondence. But I'm doing my best and hope to get caught up soon. And thanks for your lovely letters. And now, Dean, let's see our guests to the door and say goodbye to them until next Sunday when we shall again welcome them through the doorway to happiness, the doorway that always opens from within. You've just heard the program Nobody's Children, an original idea conceived and planned by Walter White. The presentation is arranged by Hal Crane, with musical settings by the Robert Mitchell Boy Choir. Please address all mail to Walter White, KHJ Hollywood. This program is a copyrighted feature presented through the cooperation of the Children's Home Society of California and the facilities of KHJ and the Donnelly Network in Hollywood. Tony Lofrano speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thank you.